Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> you know, isn't it awesome? You know, God's truth is just powerful, but we love it through the, through the mouths and through the, through the expression of people that we love too. That was awesome. Thank you, Sabritos. All right, so we are going to be uh, digging into, again, who is Jesus? We're going to be looking at his names, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't, you can read it. It's on the walls of the church. Um, you know, one of the things that is so important for us is that we worship Jesus with all of our heart and also with all of our mind. And, and I love that. Uh, when I met Nick, uh, Nick Jenkins, that's one of the things that he talked about was the importance of worshiping God with our mind. And so we want to do that. And this morning we're going to be considering the names of Jesus. And we already considered Wonderful Counselor. And we're this morning going to be focusing in on Jesus as our mighty God. Now, when we worship Jesus with our whole heart, when you know who Jesus is, when you dwell on those things, when you think about those things, and, and as you live life, as you think about, you know, how, how does this impact me? This, this truth that I know, how will that touch my life? As we do that, we will be personally comforted and blessed. And one of the things I think about over this Christmas season is that it is such a wonderful time to take opportunities to share the gospel with people, to talk to people about this Jesus whom we love. One of the things that I thought about, you know, Michelle uh, became a believer later in life. And when I say later, uh, I guess it's not later, depending on things. She was like, in her, she was like 19 or 20. And uh, when she came to know the Lord, one of the things that she talked about was over the Christmas season, she would walk through stores and hear Christmas songs playing. And she's like, it was so weird because before I was a Christian, I never really heard or understood these words about Jesus. And then after I come to know the Lord, I'm walking around these songs and I'm hearing these songs thinking, how did I miss that? And one of the so that's an amazing opportunity that that truth around Christmas time is going out. But the other thing is that as you love Jesus, as Jesus fills your heart, as Jesus fills your mind, um, it will be easy to talk to other people and just express what you love and know about Jesus. That'll become something that's natural for us. Have you ever thought about how powerful a true believer is? Um, when you think about this, it's true of, about anything. Like somebody called me one time and said, hey, I need a, I need, I need a um, you know, do you know of an accountant that I could call? I need some help with my business accounting. And so I recommended this person to them. And I just said, this is the, this was a person who had done some things for me in the past. And I just said, this person is so amazing. You should get them. They're so good at what they do. And then afterwards, the person that I referred called me and said, hey, thank you for giving me that referral. And I said, actually, I wasn't doing you a favor. I was doing them a favor because you are so good at what you do. And when we love Jesus and when you're passionate about something, when you've been blessed by someone or something, isn't it easy to share with other people about that? Um, when you have, when you know, man, this is the source of the help that you need. And for us, one of the things that is so important is that we're thinking about who Jesus is, that we are learning, that we are dwelling so that we will do a good job of communicating that. So last week we focused on Jesus as our wonderful counselor. 
You know, when we recognize Jesus as the source of miraculous counsel, we're going to go to him. We're going to take seriously the things that he tells us. One of the things I love about this verse up on the screen is that it reminds us that God counsels us for our good. It says, thus the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. God's wonderful counsel is for our benefit. Well, today we're going to consider the fact that Jesus is our mighty God. You know, Jesus is the God of the universe. He is unique in the universe. One of the things I love as I read through the Old Testament is you read these passages. Exodus 15, 11 is one where it just says, who is like you, O God? Like as people are thinking about God, it's like, God, you are unique. There is no one like you. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? There is no one like Jesus. I think about Psalm 71, 19. It says, your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And then I think about also Psalm 35.10, where it just says, All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. You know, just this, this psalmist is going, man, when people are down and out, when they are in need, God, you are there to help. You ever think about the mighty God that is Jesus? Let's consider some things uh, about who Jesus is. And we're going to consider this. Jesus is our mighty God. So we're going to think a little bit intellectually about who Jesus is. Jesus, our mighty God, is the second person of the Trinity. We worship one God with three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now as we consider this, um, the Old Testament uh, talked about the fact that, that there is one God. Um, it says in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we worship one God in three persons. You know, you'll talk to some people of other beliefs and they'll just go, man, that is confusing. And the Bible says that God is not a God of confusion, so that can't be true. Has anybody ever heard somebody say something like that? And then it, it reminds me of Peter <laughs> talking about Paul, who says our beloved brother who teaches things that are hard to understand, that the unstable distort to their own destruction. Just because something is difficult to comprehend doesn't mean that it's not true. But we serve one God, and uh, we worship one God. So this, this one God, one of the things that we think about is the, this one God has three persons. And you know, that is seen in the Old Testament. How many of you know that, that not only do you see the Trinity in the New Testament, we see the Trinity in the Old Testament, right? I'm just going to refer to a few things that you'll remember. Do you remember Genesis 1.26 when God says, let us make man in our image? Like right at the beginning of the Bible, God is speaking of himself in the plural, or Genesis 1-2, where we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the surface of the deep. 
And then as we read Colossians and as we read the Gospel of John, we realize that Jesus was the one who actually created. God created through Jesus. So in the very beginning of the Bible, there's the Trinity. We think about Psalm 51 talking about the Holy Spirit in a personal way where David, after he sins and he's praying and he just says, God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We see that in the Old Testament. What about Jesus? We've talked about several times how in the Old Testament you see the person of Jesus showing up and is referred to as the angel of the Lord. So he talks to Manoah, announces the birth of Samson. Um, Jesus is there talking to Abraham right before there's three men that show up, talk to Abraham, and then the two angels go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Jesus was there talking to Abraham and Sarah. Um, other verses in the Old Testament, I could put them on the screen, but they're on the walls, right? Um, you know, for unto us a, a son is a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Or Isaiah 7:14, which talks about this virgin that will give birth, and the baby will be called Emmanuel, which is the Hebrew word that just says God with us. And so the Old Testament talks about who Jesus is. Now, when you think about the life of Jesus, in Jesus' life, in the Gospels, His deity, the fact that Jesus is a member of the Trinity, you see in the historical events that happen, and there are many of them. But I'll remind you of a few. You remember at Jesus' baptism? See, there are some people that, that would view Jesus... Um, they would view Jesus, they would view God, the Father, they would view the Holy Spirit as one God that shifts into different forms. So that's actually, often we use illustrations like this when we're trying to communicate the Trinity, and it's really hard. Have you ever heard the illustration of water and ice? It's kind of three things, but it's kind of a problem a little bit, because you could take a cup of water, and it's water, right? Or if you take that cup of water and stick it in the freezer, it turns into ice, right? Or if you take that ice and you put it in a pot and you boil it, it turns into steam. So it's the same thing, changing forms. But you know, that is not the Trinity. God the Father uh, doesn't change into Jesus. Um, Jesus uh, the Holy Spirit is not the influence of God. It is not the influence of Jesus. Those are three separate persons. It's not God shape-shifting. Have you ever thought about the uh, ministry of Jesus and the times that you see God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit at the same time? Can you think of any of those? I'll bet if you shouted it out, you would probably come up with what I'm about to list. How about the baptism of Jesus? Ever think about that? So the baptism of Jesus, this is Matthew 3.16. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Two separate persons. 
Um, and then you have a voice. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So you have God the Father identifying Jesus and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. Um, that's a historical event that displays the Trinity, the separateness of the persons of God. Um, John 15, 26, when Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, He says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So the Helper is the Holy Spirit is coming from the Father. And it just says that He who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. So again, we see three separate persons of the Trinity. The other thing that you see in that is the fact that the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, to bear testimony of Jesus. Have you thought about what that means about the significance of Jesus? Did you know that God never exists to glorify or exalt a person? Um, all the prophets and the disciples, they refer to themselves as slaves of Christ. Uh, their purpose is to exalt and worship and glorify God. God's purpose is not to glorify someone else. God doesn't share His glory with others. And so the fact that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus says something significant about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He is our mighty God. And then we've referred to this, and, and you know it well, Matthew 28, 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity put on the same level as our mighty God. So, historically, when you just think about the Bible, you think about things that you see, we see that we worship one God with three persons. But, you know, the Bible goes beyond that, and, and you, could do, you could identify passages about the Holy Spirit. You could identify passages about God the Father. And I'm going to list a few. Did you know that the Bible explicitly and clearly says that Jesus is God? I've heard many people say Jesus never claimed to be God. He, he was just a great man and a great moral teacher. But he didn't claim deity for himself. That's something that in church history, uh, people have tried to create and make Jesus something he never claimed to be. Have you ever heard that? See, that's not true either. It's kind of funny to me often, you'll have people that say, you know, these doctrines, they were developed much later in history. And <laughs> I always think to myself, but except if you open up the Bible and if you read it and if it's in the Bible, that means it wasn't developed later. That means it was there when the Bible was written. And so let's read a few things about Jesus. How about this? John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So as we read um, John chapter 1, that specifically says that Jesus is God. It says in verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. There are people who say Jesus is a, 
a wonderful creation. He's more important than anyone else, except Jesus was the first creation. (laughs) But we can read this and go, no, if it was made, Jesus made it. And he didn't make himself. Jesus is the eternal God. You know, we know Colossians 2.9. In him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. How about this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3? He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We talked about that, that, that last week when we talked about Jesus taking on humanity and just realizing that Jesus, as a baby, needed to be fed, needed to be cared for, but he never gave up his deity, which means as Mary was carrying him around, feeding him, keeping him warm, taking care of him, while, Jesus, while Mary was doing that with the infant, that infant was upholding the universe, something that's hard for us to put in our mind. And then it says this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then look at verse 8 of Hebrews. It just says this in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, this is God talking about Jesus, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of, upright, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Man, have you thought about what the Bible says about who Jesus is? Um, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's immutability. That's uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. That's a fact that Jesus never changes. That is an attribute of God only. You know, um, when we think about who Jesus is, um, we need to worship him with our mind. We need to recognize that Jesus is the mighty God. You know, I think about when Jesus healed a lame man. And uh, you guys remember the story, right? There's this guy who's lame, and there's a roof, and there's this crowd of people trying to hear from Jesus. And so these friends bring their friend to meet Jesus. You know, when we think about the faith that those people had, in fact, it, it points out in that story that Jesus notices their faith of the friends. Man, that's supposed to be us bringing people to Jesus, showing people, man, this is the Jesus who can change your life. And as we know who Jesus is, as we've, as we've experienced that, we're going to want to communicate that. And so these friends dig a hole in a roof because they're like, how are we going to get our friend to Jesus? And they lower him down, and there's this crowd of people around, and they lower the friend down. And it says this, he's lame, right? What's his biggest problem? Is a guy can't walk. But let me ask you something. Is that his biggest problem? Is what's physically going on in life ever anybody's biggest problem? Man, our biggest problem are spiritual issues, our relationship with the Lord. And so they lower him down, and Jesus looks at him, and he says this. He sees the faith of the friends, and he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. Do you remember that? Man, he, Jesus, takes care of his greatest need. And then Jesus also reads the mind of the Pharisees. 
Because as soon as he says your sins are forgiven, they all start thinking to themselves, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God alone? And then Jesus looks at them. And he says, so that you know I have the authority to forgive sins, I'm going to tell this man to get up and walk. And so Jesus also heals his earthly problem. But that is evidence that Jesus is who he said he was. It's evidence that Jesus is God, our mighty God. And did you know that that is something that Jesus claimed for himself? When you read the, um, John chapter 8, John chapter 8 is a, is a great chapter. And as you read it, one of the things that you notice is as Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, he keeps saying, I am he. He keeps using this phrase, I am. Have you ever heard about the word I am? You, you know that that's the name when, when Abraham was talking to God at the burning bush. And he was saying, who am I supposed to tell Israel sent me? And Jesus says, oh, thank you, Moses. Thank you for correcting that. I didn't even catch that. you got to get what I mean, not what I say. That happens every week. When Moses is saying, who do I tell Abraham? <laughs> who do I tell Israel? Who do I tell Israel who sent me? And God gives his name, and he says, I am who I am. And so as you're reading those phrases and Jesus is referring to himself as I am, like that's starting to like ring this bell in your mind. But then in, in uh, chapter eight, 8, verse 58, Jesus says a phrase that's undeniable. And the Pharisees, Jesus talking about Abraham, and, and he's just basically communicating to them, you don't accept me, you don't know who I am, you think you follow Abraham, but you don't because Abraham rejoiced at, at my coming. And they're like, you're a young man. What do you mean? You, you couldn't have lived so long ago that you saw Abraham. And then in John 8, 58, Jesus says this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus uses God's name for himself. Do you think and dwell on the deity of Jesus? That he is our mighty God? Is that something that you can talk to other people about? That's one of the things that I thought about. It's like, it's good for us to kind of study and prepare. But if you were to sit at your Christmas table or if you were to um, have a, uh, somebody from a false religion come to your door who denied the person of Jesus, if you were talking with some philosopher or some friend, um, would you be able to point to the deity of Jesus from Scripture? Like, what are your favorite passages when you're talking about the Godhood of Jesus? What passages do you refer to? This is the kind of thing that, yes, you could memorize it and you could learn it, but you want to know what the most powerful way to be able to explain the deity to somebody is for you to read the Bible for yourself, to read these passages. As you're going through the New Testament and you read something, that man, that points to the deity of Jesus. You know, it's, it's kind of cool because as you do, like just as you read through the New Testament, it happens all over the place. 
all over Scripture. This is one of the things. One time I was uh, talking with a cult person at my door, and they were reading me a verse about Jesus. And they were just saying, see right here, it says he's the firstborn of all creation. And then they were getting into what firstborn means. And so then I was trying to help them understand that firstborn means priority, not necessarily um, creation, the creation of an individual. That same word was used of, um, I, of uh, I'm going to get my names mixed up. Anyway, okay, so, um, so I'm explaining that, but then they said, yeah, Jesus is not the creator God. I said, oh, okay, so then I just read like two verses past where they were reading, and it says Jesus made everything. It was in Colossians 1. You mean, you mean the fact that Jesus made everything? You mean that kind of a creator God? And they're like, oh. And here's the thing I found. Like, this is something I've just decided to do is whenever I get a cult who opens up the Bible to a particular passage and starts showing me something, like, I don't have to have all these verses memorized. I just grab whatever page it's on, and I scan over the page because somewhere on those two pages of the Bible, it talks about the deity of Jesus, like there's something that points to that. I mean, it is all over. And it's, easy, it's easier for us to talk to people about those things when we've internalized them and when we are worshiping God for them. Okay, here's the second thing. Jesus is a member of the Trinity, but Jesus, our mighty God, is to be worshipped with reverence. Jesus is to be worshipped with reverence. Um, look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 8. This is John. It's toward the end of the book of Revelation. He's seen all these amazing things. He's had angels communicating with him. He's spoken to Jesus himself as he's having this revelation. And look what happens in Revelation 22, 8. It says this, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. And then look at verse 9. But he said to me, you must not do that. John falls down in front of an angel, this amazing um, just awe-inspiring individual, and he says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the book. Worship God. No angelic being, no faithful person would ever accept worship. And so worship is something that is for God alone. And then you think about Jesus' ministry. If you remember the, the Gospels, remember when um, there's this storm in John 8, and Jesus, the, the disciples are terrified, and Jesus calms the storm, and they just they look at Jesus, and they're filled with awe, and they say, who is this that the wind and the sea obey him? Or Mark 1.27, when Jesus is teaching, and people say, he, he is teaching with authority. And even the unclean spirits obey him. Who is this that is sovereign over everything? And then if you go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, Jesus has been preaching, and it just says this in verse 22, he immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat 
by, the, by this time was along, uh, away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I mean, this Jesus walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to the to you on the water and he said come so Peter got out of the boat he walked on the water and came to Jesus but when he saw the wind he was afraid he was afraid and began to sink and he cried out Lord save me verse 31 Jesus immediately reached out his hand took hold of him saying to him oh you of little faith why did you doubt and when they got into the boat the wind ceased and those in the boat this is the disciples, it's Peter, worshipped him, saying, you are the Son of God. You want to know what Jesus never did when anybody bowed down to worship him? You know, Jesus never said, get up, don't worship me, I'm not God. Jesus accepted worship. Think about John 9, 38. He heals a blind man. And it says, uh, the blind man comes back, he, say, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. In John 20, 28, Thomas, after doubting what had happened with Jesus, Jesus shows up. And Thomas says, man, I've been disappointed before. I am not going to be disappointed again. I'll believe in Jesus when I can touch the nail holes in his hand. And then Jesus shows up and says, all right, Thomas, there you go. There's the nail holes. And it says in John 20, 28, and they answered him, Thomas answered Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. Uh, when you think about the disciples after Jesus' entire ministry, um, when he's just getting ready to ascend into heaven, Matthew 28, 17, after Jesus has been risen from the dead, it says this in Matthew 28, 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. You know, it is right to worship Jesus. Jesus accepts worship because He is our mighty God. You know, it, it doesn't matter what kind of gymnastics you try to do with any passage in the Bible. As you read it, you cannot deny that Jesus is God. And we should learn that we should worship God. We should worship Jesus with reverence. And that, in and of itself, is proof that Jesus is our mighty God. Here's a third thing. When you think about the fact that Jesus is our mighty God, you can trust Him. You can rely on Jesus. Jesus will never fail. Remember uh, Hebrews 13.8, uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think about the fact that Jesus is so powerful. He is, has the power of the God of the universe because He is the God of the universe. There could be nobody that would be worthy of the trust that we should have for Jesus. I think about Psalm uh, 37, verse uh, 23. And it just says this. It says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. 
Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Have you thought about that? That Jesus, as our mighty God, is holding your hand. Even when you trip, even when you fall, you will not fall fatally. You're never going to fall headlong because Jesus holds your hand. I think about uh, Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who love Him who are called according to His purpose. One of the things that I think about when I think about the deity of Jesus, and I think about something that makes me trust Jesus, is the way that he worked out his ministry with his disciples. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when you read um, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, the disciples knew that this was about the Messiah, right? Um, The government's going to be on Jesus' shoulders. He's a mighty God, a prince of peace. There's going to be no end to his rule. Like, that's what they were thinking about. And Jesus comes to the earth, and, and then when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem... Um, And the crowds are just shouting. And then Jesus goes into the temple and he clears the temple like everybody's afraid of the the Pharisees. And Jesus goes in and he just shows that he's in charge. And then all of a sudden, what the disciples are never expecting happens. And and Jesus is going to be crucified and they go with him into the garden. But even in the garden, as they're coming to arrest Jesus... They demonstrate, Jesus demonstrates the fact that he is the mighty God. Jesus didn't go to the cross because people came and took him and overpowered him. Jesus went to the cross because that was his purpose. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to die as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. And I think about God's power. I think about the way Jesus cares for people. And those disciples were shattered. They were discouraged. They were afraid. And Jesus was there to care for them. You know, John chapter 8, verse 18, verse 4, it says, then Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus about to go to the cross and he knows everything that's going to happen, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? So there's this big mob, there's these soldiers, they're all there to arrest Jesus, and he just says, who are you looking for? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, and when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Like, think about that. They're showing up to arrest Jesus, and he just says, who are you looking for? And they're like, we're looking for you. And he says, that's me. And bam, they're all laying on the ground. Like, we're not surprised Peter grabbed his sword. It's like, okay, let's cut some people's ears off. Let's, you know, we can fight. Jesus is taking over. And we know what Jesus says. He tells Peter, put your sword away. Puts the ear back on the, the servant's head. And then it goes on here in John chapter 18. And it just says that Jesus, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. Jesus decided that you can have me, but you can't have them. 
Like, think about the deity of Jesus, the fact that He is a mighty God, the fact that He holds you in His hands, that of the people that God gives, Jesus loses none, and that includes you. So Jesus is our mighty God, and we should trust Him. Uh, Jesus is our mighty God who is able to save you from sin. You know, that's the thing. Jesus was man so that he could represent us, but he's God so that he could pay the infinite price for sin. We've sinned against a holy God, and any sin against a holy, infinite God is an infinite sin requiring infinite punishment. And Jesus had to be God to be able to pay that infinite price. Think about Titus chapter 2, verse 11. By the way, verse 13 is one of, there are many, but it's one of the most powerful statements of the deity of Christ. And and it has to do with the Greek grammar and how there's an article and two nouns of of the same person, number, and case. So we won't get into all those details, but I just want you to know that this is a powerful statement of the deity of Christ, but it comes in the context of Jesus saving us. Because Jesus is God, He saves us. Look at Titus 2.11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know, God's grace provides salvation, but it instructs us to live a holy life. But look at what it says here in verse 13, talking about us. We are waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, He is God. Think about the power of God to save you. I think about 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. As you think about your personal sin struggles, it is Jesus, the mighty God, who helps us overcome those things. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. And then here's our final point this morning. Jesus is our mighty God, and He is able to keep you safe in this life and in the next. You ever think about that? That your eternal destiny does not rest in your hands. One of the most powerful things about the fact that we are not saved by our works We are not saved because we are good enough. We are not saved because we do more good things than bad. The hope of salvation that you and I have rests on the power of God and who Jesus is. If you were saved by your works, if you were saved because you did something to get yourself saved, if you brought your salvation, you could lose it. Now, first of all, you can't bring your salvation. You are not powerful enough. You are not good enough. There is nothing you could do to save yourself. And by the same token, you cannot keep yourself saved. God saves people, and by God's power, He keeps us saved. Our eternal destiny is in God's hands. You know, I think about this, John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never 
cast out. How about John 10, 27? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through about 7. Talk about the fact that by God's power, He is protecting our eternity. Like, think about that. God is our mighty God. Jesus is our mighty God. And we trust Him for all of these things. So in this Christmas season, I would challenge you, man, we should be excited about who Jesus is. We should dwell on these things. We should think about these things. No matter what you are facing, who Jesus is and the fact that you are his child transforms everything. And, and the more we embrace that, the more we internalize it, the more we're comforted by it, the more we will be able to share it with the people around us. And here's the great thing. Pray for opportunities over this holiday season to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your family, to talk to your friends. Pray for opportunities. But you never need to feel any pressure. You don't need to feel guilty about those kinds of things. Love Jesus. Every time there's an opportunity for that door, every time it opens, just tell people, this is who Jesus is to me. This is, I worship Jesus because of this. Get into a discussion about the deity of Jesus. Just share with people those things that are so precious to you. The more they're powerful in your life, the more powerful they will be when you share them with others. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord, I am so thankful that you are our mighty counselor. Lord, that we can trust you, that we can follow your advice, that what you say is always true and it's always best. God, that you love us and you know what we need and, and you're there to give us the counsel we need just in the perfect moment. And Lord, that you are also our mighty God. Lord, you are the second person of the Trinity, the God that we worship. And Lord, we can trust you and we can have confidence that you will hold us in your hands because you are all powerful. And so Lord, I pray that we would worship you with these things in our hearts and in our minds in your name. Amen.